0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of Leverage and um, This is, I feel like every weekend is becoming special just because the World Cup has been such a brilliant one. Um, and I think the most important thing is I think most of us have got our voices back after last night. Um, that up game late in the Sunday pushed us hard as supporters. Um, we were taking a lot of risks with our jobs, I think, Monday morning. Um, I, I came in late and I definitely wasn't close to the latest person into the office this morning. So... Um, not sure how how the rest of you guys felt it, but we joined as a, as always, obviously, by Andrew and Phil. Andrew, how's how's life? How are you feeling this morning? Happy, sad,
1: uh excited yeah.
0: for the rest of the, the tournament?
1: I mean, uh, this Monday felt like three days wrapped into one after the excitement of last night. I think it all stole a little bit off our lives and our the the durability of our our hearts. I think our heart surgeons are doing well this morning, but fantastic. And I even managed to carve out an hour and a half now to Rewatched the entire game before the pod. So um, I'm just living in the glory right now.
0: Well, we're definitely leaning on you for, for the niche insights there. I'm looking for some some alternative taste coming from you. Phil, you had a mixed day yesterday, um, some stress on both fronts, um, but managed to come away with two wins. Are you doubly happy as the rest of us?
2: Yeah, doubly happy. Um Obviously, next weekend is a uh, conflict of interest. My half South African, half English uh, commitments. But, you know, as I've said to you guys, South Africa is still number one in my heart. So, yeah, happy. Uh, very tired at work this morning, but also very happy. It would be very that, the, the opposite, of, you know, if it had gone a different way, but loving life this morning.
0: Well, well, you're wearing white, so I'm not sure if that, that reflects deep down where your allegiances are lying. <laughs> um, someone like that's not wearing white, uh, we're joined tonight by a special guest. you have got Heinrich, who's appropriately donning the Springbok jersey. He says he's always got a spare one for special occasions to make sure that he can keep his match matchday jersey and ready. Um, he's an actuary and podcaster from Cape Town, so we're expecting some very deep analytical insights from him. Um, I've heard he's been behind the spreadsheets the entire day, picking up after the game. Um, Heinrich, <laughs> Welcome.
3: Thanks and thanks, guys. It's a privilege to be on here. Um, getting an invitation to chat rugby um, and have a beer is something you never say no to. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we can conjure up in the in the next. I don't know how long, however long we need.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's about as good an intro as we need because we've got a lot to cover. It was obviously regarded as probably one of the greatest rounds of quarterfinal rugby in the round. History of the World Cup. Um, you know, I think obviously due to just the weirdness of the draw, we had four incredibly even matches. I mean, I know I got one out of four in Super Prue, and I think a lot of people were similar. Um yeah, you know, I wonder how how many bookies made or lost money this weekend. But just before we dive in, there's a couple of news points that we can touch on. Um the first one being the SA women, well, the women X V kicked off globally this weekend. Um, South Africa, we had Scotland, the USA, um, Italy and South Africa playing. So africa went down to scotland unfortunately but there were some really great highlights coming out of that some monstrous scums coming through our eighth woman eighth man eighth woman um <laughs> some hard carries over the game nine into the tries and there was, i think the, 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 the footage that was doing the biggest rounds was the massive hit from Libby biancer and Rensburg. so they're definitely emulating their male counterparts with the physicality that we can bring i'm not sure if either of you guys caught the game andrew you're normally our women's champion
1: uh, I didn't manage to catch it. I caught the same highlights as you did, but it's good to see the women's game still riding on a bit of a wave. And as you say, just making uh, the most of the national momentum right now.
0: Yeah, it was very cool to see the, the support coming from the Springbok leadership. Rush Rios was tweeting right off the Springbok game, congratulating us the women's sevens team um, for their qualification to the Olympics, which we need to give. Uh, Recognition to they did it before the males have made qualification yet. So the jury's still <laughs> out if we're actually going to be at the Olympics. um So you know, well done to our, our women's team. And I think it's probably fair to, for, to to take note that like we don't have the biggest depth of women's field. So I mean having to play a lot of our sevens and 15s players do double up. So you know, like some of our star players like Nadine Rose wasn't playing for the 15s team. So that probably did dent our um, our chances against Scotland a little bit. But yeah, not sure if we'll be back. Hopefully, it's just. Onwards and upwards for them. Um, I suppose the other really big non World Cup um, related news is that the URC does kick off this weekend. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, um, especially from my side. We had our draft this weekend, and I think the extent of my preparation was about 20 minutes and had to offload a lot of responsibility to to some other members of the pod. Um, Are you guys excited planning to watch any URC this weekend?
2: Yeah, I think from my side, I will definitely try to a little bit. None of it overlaps with the semifinals, so starting early just on Saturday. Because the
0: French have their games at stupid yeah. <laughs> times,
2: but we have potentially <laughs> two, four, six. You know. Three game times and then the semi final afterwards. So depending on how how I'm feeling, I'll definitely catch the Lions hosting the Stormers up in Joburg. Uh, you know, supporting the Lions of course. But I'll see if the, I mean there are other good matchups. And then there's a couple of Sunday games on too. So depending on how things go. Um, it's always nice to see the first game. You know, there's a couple of new signings. The Bulls have a very exciting, like Aka and a couple of those guys. So always exciting, start of the season, even if the Springboks are not going to be there for a while. And obviously all the internationals are still away for the European teams too.
0: Well, not all the internationals, the Irish, the Italians, the Welsh, the Scottish are all back with their <laughs> clubs. <laughs> we'll see lot- how quickly they get back, yeah. You know, there was um- a lot of apprehension drafting any Irish players we're like, oh, no, they definitely will be hanging around with... <laughs> uh maybe not maybe they will be there physically who's your
3: team for the urc yeah so i'm a born and bred bulls fan um so that's why i'm quietly nervous and not saying too much about the urc but sorry finding the button to remove you from the chat quickly (laughs) (laughs) we've got an amazing we've got all four represented here
0: that's great
3: yeah well, no, was, I'm looking forward to yeah, the uh, game on Sunday. So I think in general we're in for an absolutely immense weekend of sport, right? We've got the double header against England on Saturday, cricket world cup, and rugby. Yeah. So we can absolutely inflict damage to the English, which is, I mean, not a lot better sporting-wise to inflict damage on the English. I'm sorry, Philip, for, <laughs> for that comment. And then we've, no got, fits, yes, but... we've got we've got that. There's some Great MMA on. I don't know if any of you watched that. And we've got Premier League is back. got the URC Saturday and Sunday. I think it's F1. So, Sounds
0: obviously, like there are a to the are
3: comes down. I mean, I'm already getting nervous about how I'm going to fit everything in and watch everything this weekend. But, yeah, you know, the, the Bulls definitely on our priority list for Sunday and excited to see the Lions stormers derby just because it's a derby yeah. and see maybe if the Lions, the Lions have improved while well, they – they finished the season quite well, if I remember right. But, I mean, I'm excited to see them go again this year as well. <clears throat> well it's quite cool. The Stormers have got it. I mean, they've signed about 400 outside backs. So, I mean,
0: I think <laughs> considering a bunch of them are at the World Cup, it's it will be good to see some of the fringe guys get a run before, you know, the foot's ringbox part spot filtering back in. Andrew, as a resident Fav, who have you got your eye on? Who do you think is the, the key to the Storms' early season success?
1: Uh, so, I'm, I'm interested to see how they line up uh, in the back row. Because uh I've I've drafted Hendrik Stassen, who seems to be an off season uh phenom. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously we've got Hachiva Diamani at blindside flank. So um he's not gonna displace Evan Ros and then there's very Engelbrecht. Um but in the back three I think I think they'll start with uh Galant, Zass, and Ben Loder, but um they could there's Blomakis, there's Scorsan, so there are options available.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, before you just speaking at, about... Interest
3: oh, sorry. I just wanted again? to say what, and um he started out at the Bulls before he went to France. Immense player. I think the Stormers have got a great... Uh, made a great coup there. I think the the guy who had lots of muscle and... and well, like a very versatile player in my mind. When I saw him play for the Pools as a 19, 20-year-old, I think, um, pre years off-field troubles and stuff, obviously, that he had mm-hmm. overseas. But I think it's a good signing. Um, and I think he'll make an impact. I really do. Um. The Stormers
0: seem to get those really shrewd, like, mid-career, bit of foreign experience, but relatively cheap players. You know, They've they got a bunch of them last season. They seem to have another another bunch now i mean if you look at someone like Dion for for example i mean you know they kind of signed yeah. in, in the career but kind of thought like, oh yeah he's a good guy to have around the squad but then you know, he's a being a star player of the stormers and now it's you know benching well, for the spring box and like money like money level came from nowhere
1: uh he was basically yeah. due to retire from rugby and then reinvigorate harsh on, <laughs> on the sharks yeah. calling them nowhere yeah
2: well, he was. No, but he was. I mean, at the Sharks, he was, he was wasn't <laughs> yeah, no. He wasn't starting to then. So no, it's so perfectly fair. Yeah,
0: he was ambling along with the Bulls, ambling along with the Sharks. Came to the Storms and suddenly, you know,
2: starting Springbok. Yeah. No, spring you're match. welcome, like, South fish. Africa. You're
0: welcome. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the list of players that the Stormers have re- re- reinvigorated is, is massive. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we do actually owe, owe the Storms a great day. That's death. a uh, good thing. I mean, I mean, this plus,
1: the storm is used to be known for like killing careers like Brian Abana and Jacques Ferry and
0: <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, so you actually owe the rest of the country one. So it's all balanced. Yeah, out. <laughs> it's great how the world kind of turns around in that way. Um okay, cool. We've got we've got a lot of regular cover, so we're gonna jump straight into it. First game on Saturday. Um Probably the least anticipated match of the weekend, which you know it's not saying that much considering um, that all the games were very exciting. But Wales, Argentina I mean, Wales are known for dragging teams down, not playing the most exciting rugby. Argentina being a bit ambly iffy with their form, so but it, yeah, I, I need to, to qualify that I was at a bachelor's for the whole of Saturday, so I only had half an eye um, open and only a quarter of that eye on the game. So I'm not going to make too many comments, but yeah, who's watching that i saw the the interceptions with nicolas sanchez at the end which kind of rubber stamped it but yeah up until then i heard there were some big hits there's some tense results um i saw yakka paper got injured so yeah. i'm sure there's more than enough to cover um who wants to kick us off
1: yeah i'm happy to um i thought the first half of that game might have been the thir- the worst half of quarterfinal rugby in history it was two <laughs> really shit teams from the shit side of the draw who never should have been in a quarterfinal. Like it was just terrible rugby. Um, and then I think my prediction of Argentina pulling themselves up you know, by their bootstraps uh, came true. And in the second half, they did play some good rugby and came back with a comeback. But yeah, Wales were like abject. Um, guys were getting feisty and knock-ons, indiscipline. Like, not 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 good rugby. I mean, there were there were two very clear. Uh, lesser semi or quarterfinals and and two very clear premier quarterfinals mm-hmm. this weekend and this is not a good game to watch.
3: <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually thought the game. Well, you can't, you can never say like decided, but there were two massive calls made by the referee or well, one massive call made by the referee. I don't know if you guys recall the shoulder charge just before halftime. I got a penalty for. Oh, is that me? So they gave. A penalty for that, which you could argue it, it could could have been a, a yellow. And then there was there was a, a incident at Iraq when Argentina was on the attack, which I thought was at least meriting a penalty, if not more. And he didn't even give a penalty to Wales. And Argentina subsequently kicked the ball out from advantage there and ended up scoring. So I think that was a real a real. Big moment in the game because from that, Argentina took the lead and they never looked like losing again after that, really, to my mind, because they played the better rugby in the second half, kind of. But massive swing there. I I, I was perplexed how the ref didn't even give a penalty for that incident. Um, Interesting. I don't know if you guys recall what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, There's Guido,
1: Guido Petty on. Um, yeah.
3: On who
0: was it? it wasn't Will Rollins? Um I mean the, we, the most shocking thing about that that there was an Argentinian lock that wasn't Lavanini that was doing a legal thing. Well, yeah.
1: I mean he tried his best, eh? He he got away yeah. with a couple <laughs> of things. But no, Pet Petty cleared out the guy, but he was he was trying to clear out the player who was attached to the player that he made mm. contact with. Yeah. Um I, I, I understood what the ref said, I backed it. Um but what I will say is I, I think it was the right rugby decision, but I do think that there's been a precedent set. And that yes. followed the precedent that should have been at least a penalty. But I don't agree with the precedent you know. is my problem. Like the player was, I mean, for those that didn't catch it, the, uh, he went into the, the ref called tackle after sort of a held up tackle. Knees went mm-hmm. to the ground. The guy was falling down. The guy went into to clear the player who was upright away from the tackle situation. And the guy was falling next to him. And he ended up making head contact with his shoulder to the guy that was falling. So, the guy was trying to clear out the other player. It was a legal action. He was never being reckless or careless. Um, so, for me, there's no punishable offense. It's just an unfortunate incident. But there was dangerous yeah. head contact.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at how Peter Steff got a red card against France, it's not similar. And I agree with your view that I'm the first advocate for there's – a, there's a ridiculous amount of cards flying around in rugby now where – Basically, if you make contact with the shoulder to a head or or a head to a head, even if you're just on the wrong side or slipping away, it's a card. I remember Peter Steff's red card against France, where he, he was kind of pushed into a guy. And I even more so, him. I mean, we can get to that later, but Iben was basically tackling the oak on his knees. How much lower <laughs> must the 2.03 even be in get when a guy yeah. is already tapping <laughs> and he's <laughs> on his knee? So yeah. I, I, I thought that was a big moment. And I, I agree from, a, from like a, a rugby logic point of view, I wouldn't think like that should be punished because the guy doing the cleaning can do absolutely nothing about what happened there. But I think they've been so strict on this, it just doesn't make sense that it wasn't even a penalty. Um, so if there's one thing that, uh, that that I thought... And obviously, they scored after that. I thought that was kind of a big moment. And yeah. that kind of gave me some hope that maybe for the knockouts, World Rugby chatted to the refs and said, only give cards <laughs> if it's really... <laughs> A card, yeah. but you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it was the interpretation of the referee, which was fair from a rugby standpoint. But yeah, you know, I was just I just found it weird. I yeah, that that but is anyway. what we saw
0: with the last World Cup. Like during the group stages, there was I mean an insane amount of cards and kind of as we got to the playoffs the the number dropped um quite a bit. And um, mm-hmm. from what I saw of the rest of the matches, I mean I didn't see that particular incident. But I mean I thought the Edsbith one was was fair and yellow. I mean the protocol says that there's mm-hmm. head contact, it's yellow, but You know, and and as much as you can say, yeah, it's between his knees. He wasn't bent at the waist, which is what the rules state. You know, there's many, Mm -hmm. if you're bent at the waist, then they can find mitigation. I think they did that with uh, um, a botty tackle in the Fiji game. But he was bent at the waist, so therefore they could mitigate it down to just a penalty. Whereas, but yeah, unfortunately, if you're coming in with your back upright, then Mm -hmm. there's just very little um, that that, that the refs have in their their arsenal to change. And I think maybe that was the thing, is if you're coming for a clean out, your body is bent and you're in a legal body position. There's a lot, It's a lot, easier for them to find litigation because i think the refs are looking you know they don't want to give cards and i think that's mm-hmm. basically what the players need to, to learn to do i think that's what the, the red cards are trying to force that behavior is you know forcing that change in body position um, and yeah unfortunately mm-hmm. players are going to come into contact upright every now and then but yeah i suppose it's, that's the trade-off that world rugby is at least trying to make at the moment but yeah. it was interesting feel- to see in the comments coming out after the game Gatlin saying that, you know, the fact that paper went off, uh, they got a different ref and they had maybe done their research on the on the assistant ref. And they were saying that that kind of factored into maybe then getting the the, the, the wrong rub of the green with the referee. Um, did you guys feel there was a shift with pre and post paper? I,
2: I think there was, but, um, you know, both teams had the same problem to deal with, right? Like it's something that you can't really prepare for. No one's going to prepare for three different referees. Um it's something which well, probably happens checker. yeah <laughs> but it probably but then, that's probably in, the best thing <laughs> like less less than 1% of the games the referees pull up in ch- i know it's happened before but like it's such a rare thing um and uh, you just got to adapt like you know You've got to be able to adapt on the fly. Sometimes refs also call differently than you might think um, they would do before the game. And part of being a rugby player, part of being a good rugby player is how well you can adapt to the referee. We've seen that, you know, come back to bite the string box in the past, particularly 2013, you know, that uh, game against Australia, which we don't like to talk about. We adapted really badly to that referee's interpretation of the law. So basically maybe Argentina did a better job than Wales did at this game.
1: Fun, fun fact, um, that's how I made my refereeing debut. <laughs> I, I was uh, <laughs> on, on the sidelines of a, a Scottish under-16 um, National Cup game, and uh, the guy I used to coach with um, got a calf strain and just called me over and put his, like, triple XL jersey on and <laughs> to ref the rest of the game. <laughs> so it's the only <laughs> game I've ever read, but uh, that was good fun. <laughs> and definitely Did definitely get and... off
0: the pitch? Did you have... have... Uh, teenage dads coming chasing you after, well,
1: afterwards yeah the home side one so i don't know if the <laughs> which was which <laughs> was a tactical name? decision so, on your part th- it was also my employer so <laughs> so
2: you were yeah, we, literally we being paid to
0: <laughs> controversial <laughs> questions there <laughs> um yeah is there anything else we really want to touch on because i'm quite happy to move on and um no, let's, yeah, mean, the let's spend time yeah, on the, it's yeah. like, But
2: just quickly, yeah, mm. just to finish off from my side, I think perhaps just because I was hoping Argentina would win and be able to pull through, uh, the second half became very enjoyable. And because it was close, like when the intercept happened, it was a really nice moment. And obviously for Costello, it sucks. He's like a super young player, doesn't have that many caps. And to make a mistake like that is really horrible for any player, even a Welsh one. um you
0: you were saying that you reckon that if if Anscombe had started they would have won
2: I yeah I just think um like bigger also got a bit hurt and he had to go off earlier than they would have wanted him to I think Anscombe when he starts he's able to control a match like bigger has more experience but I think Anscombe is more of a I don't know like a threatening fly half and also he controls it really really well so I think bigger going off also contributed to that that I I do prefer like Anscombe, except that he's always injured. You know, he's made a glass.
1: Also, biggest, biggest last international. Hey, he retired
0: after that.
2: Yeah, but him and what's his name, of course, Sexton, which we'll get to.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to get to right now, <laughs> which is the next game on Saturday, was New Zealand Island. Um, And I think so much has been said about it already in terms of just the momentousness of that game. It was incredible. I mean, started the game started with a 30-plus phase movement. It ended with a 30-plus phase movement. Um, the ball and play times was off the charts. I think it was up in 40 minutes or something crazy. Um, wow. i I've obviously been building for this for years. Um, they have Irish team New Zealand coming out undercooked, but yeah, New Zealand raced out to 13 a 13-0 lead and never actually gave that, that up. Um, I think the, they were ahead on the scoreboard for the entire game. Um, Ireland did pull themselves back in. It was touch and go, and they were obviously pushing for for that win right at the end. But you know, something that I was quite questioning in the lead-up was, you know, the selection of Sam White look on the bench, then going with Scott Barrett ahead of him. But, you know, the, the old man coming off and making the difference with the clutch play at the end. Um I said, my quarter, I was probably an eighth of them at this time, so I, you know, even then, could feel the, the gravity of the game, but uh, I'll definitely defer to those that, that had a had a keener eye on it. Um, who who kind of stood out for you guys? I mean, Sam Kane's been getting a lot of the plaudits, and I saw some some big hits from yeah. him.
2: I think it's probably the best game that I've seen from Sam Kane, especially in all black shirt, but probably in any shirt for. As in my re- in the most recent memory, uh, I can't remember a better one. I think both him and Adi Severe were absolutely phenomenal. Um, Adi, you know, mm-hmm. he's more consistent, so we're a bit more used to seeing him dominate. But he he didn't only do the flashy things like scoring tries and making a couple of turnovers, but he was also everywhere, just tackling, pushing people back, making extra meters with his leg drives. Um, and then all the Barrett's were good as uh they needed to be in a match like this. Like Bowden especially came to the party at the time he's been a bit quiet. Jordy made a crucial uh try game probably. Yeah, pretty much like one of the massive moments of the game, stopping a try on his own line. Um and their outside backs were super dangerous, like Will Jordan and Finally, probably my favorite moment of the match was Moanga making a break from inside his own half, going past Josh van der Fleer like Fleer, uh, like he's not player, world player of the year, and then passing to Jordan to finish off. The um, I know Heinrich's going to talk to us about how he appreciates this island I, When New Zealand are playing like that, they other than when this ring lock's looking good, they're my favorite team to watch. So I really, really thought it was an amazing game. And from both sides, both teams contributed to what was just a spectacle.
3: Yeah, so I think this time Ireland can feel great. Uh, well, they can feel validated that they did pitch up in the World, World Cup quarter final. Um, it was, was an absolutely immense game of rugby. I thought it would be hard for the Springboks and France to top that, but we were. The, the game was just as good, if not better, on Sunday. But I mean, it was a just a joy to watch. If rugby's played like that. It was a, a timely reminder to me why rugby is my favourite sport, because when it's played like that, it's absolutely a joy to watch. I mean, I, I appreciate this island team because, I, like I said before we started, Dave, the coaches have found a way to make very structured rugby beautiful. And the way they shift the ball and how quickly they do it and all 15-cruits, it's just a joy to watch, how they keep the ball, the variations in their little intricate passing game. I um, mean, it was one of those games It, it like, I think Rusty said in the, in the build-up to our game as well that these games are decided by moments of brilliance. Um, and there was moments of brilliance in the game. I think Aldi Sevilla put on one of the best um, loose forward displays I've seen from an individual for a while. Uh, Sam Kane, like you said, he had to pitch. The jury was out. He really had to pitch. Um, and he did pitch. Credit to him. I didn't think he would. I, I thought... The New Zealand pack wasn't going to to put them in a position to win this game. But the All Blacks did what the All Blacks do, and that's take their chances. And they took it a lot better than, than Ireland took their chances, although Ireland kept coming back and back. I thought New Zealand was so clinical. Um and and then if it's not cut right, around when you end in front, barring major with reading this decision, you probably just have to win the game, right? So They just squeaked that one. It was an absolute cliffhanger. Um, I was sad because I love the Irish and I wanted us to beat them in the final because they beat us. Mm. I didn't want a situation like 2019 where we lose a game and not play that side again and beat them on our way to the title. But I mean, that's not going to happen. So all credit to New Zealand. I think yeah, just well done to them. They showed their class once again. Although I think they couldn't have played better so I, I wonder what's left in the locker for the final if they get there. Sure. Oh, well, that's what I'm a bit of a co-
0: contrarian voice there is that from the bits that I did catch, the Irish did look like they had a freedom to play. I mean, when the Irish played us, mm. they didn't get their shapes working. They were playing two, three phases mm. and they were getting knocked backwards and they having to kick. The fact that they could go 30 phases, they're getting their shapes going, they're getting their like, you know, wide running game going. And every time they were kind of within five, 10 metres of the line, I mean, Wundiak Gies try was childishly easy. Um, mm. you know, so it, it's it, it definitely wasn't like a all dominant all encompassing display from the All Blacks. Um, no. I think the Irish were, were had a lot more freedom and they were probably a lot more comfortable in the yeah. way against us. But I think it came back to your point that mm. you know the All Blacks capitalised on some poor moments that um, that that Richie Moana break that led Will Jordan try the chip and collect from Burn Barrett that I went I think that was Leicester thing Unuku's try. And I think they maybe mm-hmm. almost just took their chances but better rather than being maybe the overall better team on the day. Again, I didn't, didn't have all that yeah. again, but you know, happy to get your insights on that.
1: Yeah, it, it did feel like this was a battle of two different rugby templates. Uh, like, like I said, we mm-hmm. said last week, like Ireland are, as Heinrich put it so beautifully, like they're the structured team. They have intricate passing movements. They run everything through 10. Have the, their props are these beautiful drawbacks to Sexton, who distributes and, and always picks the right option. They have these little moves that they do. Um, their set piece is brilliant. And then the All Blacks, like they're an all around good rugby team, but their main weapon is their individual brilliance. They have game breakers like from one to 15 nearly. And, and that's why I think we were like so. In such anguish last week, trying to pick someone because Ireland of the form team, they won 17 in a row, but you can never write off the all blacks. And if they pitch up on a day like mm. you did, they have the players that will break the game open for you. And like someone like Bowden Barrett, who Phil mentioned, like his little chip over regather, which was then shot left, um, and Rico popped it back inside for finger finganuk score. That's the classic example. Like there was nothing on moment of brilliance from Bowden who who really had an excellent game. I'm not a I wasn't a fan of Bowden at 15, but he's totally converted me now um through this tournament. Like they had the individuals and they pitched up. Um I just think if we get them in the final I think we we have the structures to shut them down better than Ireland did on defense. Yeah, Yeah well, that's it's
0: really like, my question is I think like playing a structured team like Ireland, you know, we know what to Plan against, and we could. Do you? Are you more worried about facing New Zealand if they're on their kind of individual, individual brilliance form? No.
3: Is that for Andrew? I assume.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to get get the, the panel's consensus here. Andrew <laughs> thinks definitely not. <laughs> um, I,
2: I think that yeah, you know, basically we're just not going to allow them to play like that. You know, um, and it comes down to that, like. If somehow they do get into it, then it's scary and it's hard to stop. Like if their backs get running and if they get the space and the quick ball, but we will basically make sure that they don't get that quick ball. And like, that's the the number one thing that you have to do. Uh, like the one thing that Ireland did actually really poorly, I think, was their set piece. They their lined up yeah. and saw struggle against us, and it carried on not being clean. Like they didn't get that clean ball, and their scrum mm. they got penalized. Like Porter got penalized a few times. It mm. just wasn't great for them. So mm. uh, that was, I, and I saw some ridiculous that they didn't have one scrum on their own ball in the whole match, which is a like what? statistical anomaly, but just
0: not proper. I saw the Warriors only had one knock on the entire game or something. Yeah,
2: and then it wasn't, so, it didn't geez. become a scrum or something. So uh, they, they got penalized, you know, on New Zealand scrum, and that's not ideal. So the set piece let them down a bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I like to think the Springboks wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. So, yeah. I mean,
0: if you, if you reference that to do the, the Springbok game, I mean, the, the French were dominant from their set piece, but their open play, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Peno look that quiet. Like the entire mm-hmm. French back line outside of DuPont was. Almost nowhere, in my opinion. Like
1: you
2: mm-hmm. know, they
0: did have their odd break here and there, but they've never looked threatening. It was only—it was really. You know, I mean, they, all their tries came from from their, their, two from a prop and from a lock I and mean, from a hooker. So, yeah, that that might be something we can we can take some solace in. Um, I'll fight you that, Let's now. not jump ahead
3: too fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can get there. We'll chat about. ahead fr- again. I'm, I'm I'm still keen to get in the Ireland New Zealand game. I think, like you said. I I said the statement that New Zealand probably can't play better than they played. And that is, it might be a cruel statement to make, but I don't think this is a good New Zealand side by New Zealand standards at all. And they literally had to be as clinical as I've seen them under Ian Foster to beat the Irish. The Irish struggled in the lineouts like they did against us and and New Zealand under the rubber, the green and the scrum. And still, I feel like Ireland had more opportunities to win this game. Um, but I, I guess it also boils down kind of to my philosophy as a rugby fan. I'm a bit more of a pragmatist, and I always feel in a big knockout game. A lot of the times, it feels like the team who plays the, tries to play the most rugby loses. Like Ireland, mm. the whole game is based on keeping that ball and running phase after phase with move after move. Um, and yes. I'm not saying don't run the ball, but I'm saying pick your moments to play expansive and run the ball and stuff. And and maybe that's just my philosophy, but I felt like New Zealand picked their moments so well. And because they're so dangerous individually, they can still beat any team on their day, right? So what I was impressed with the line against the Boxes, they lost their first four lineouts, and I think they conceded two scrum penalties before us, but they managed to adapt. And their line-out functioned well in the second half and they got to parity in the scrums. I didn't see that on Saturday against New Zealand. I felt piece did let them down. But still, they could have won that game. If if one or two things went different, they could have won that game. I did, really didn't think New Zealand would be able to win it. But credit to them, as they always do, they surprise me when I think they're down. And to answer your question about who they'd rather play in a final, for me, it's even... It's even, like, I feel we're better than both their sides. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I, I feel like we've got the best tools to win a World Cup final. And hey, we're, we're number one in the world, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> well, we can say it now. We are number one in the world. But with New Zealand, it, it's 20 minutes of madness against New Zealand, like we saw this year when we played them down there, and it's basically game over. So I'm always, and I didn't think like we, us and Ireland are so close that if they had won that one, probably by the statistical whatever odds, we'd win the next one against them no matter where it's played. But with New Zealand, man, it's like, it it doesn't even have to be a great New Zealand side. It's just like 15 minutes and it's over. So that's my feeling. I'm, I'm quite nervous because as a rugby team, I believe we're better, but it doesn't mean you win a World Cup. Um, against the side who's got Richie Moana and Bowden Barrett pulling strings with, with World yeah. Jordan who can basically break from anywhere. Yeah, so that's my view of the final. I'm quite nervous to play New Zealand, although I think we'll win it. So you, you don't reckon there's any chance Argentina is going to roll in, huh? <laughs> oh, they've not shown enough. They've not shown enough. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, I don't we, know. We don't...
3: Anyway.
2: We we don't have to be nice to the Argentines like they really haven't shown anything to. Yeah. It would be um it would be perhaps a bigger shock than
3: uh, yes. any of yeah, beating us. We've seen. Yeah, well, I think uh, us and New Zealand are in the same position this weekend where emotionally it had to take a lot out of the teams to win their respective games. New Zealand beating Ireland, us beating France. So the the biggest danger for me is is. Are we gonna be are the oaks gonna be sharp, both New Zealand and South Africa at the start of that game, or is there gonna be a little bit of a hangover? I know some people don't believe in stuff like this at all, but oh, no, this
0: is very real. It was
3: such a massive mountain to climb for both us and New Zealand to get to our quarterfinals. You you would think that in the back of some of the players' heads, they would think this weekend will be a bit easier. So it is the biggest danger if. Either team gets caught, caught napping in that first half against Argentina, or England, which I still don't believe will necessarily happen, and, and us and the Oaks will lose. But I think for me, that's that's a bit the big theme of the week is how to get the Oaks up emotionally to that same level of sharpness again.
0: I think for the Springboks, it's probably probably a bit. Easy. Well, I think well for both teams, as you know, I think for the Springboks, considering we going we went into this World Cup with the, the eye on the final always. Beating France in the quarter mm. was always a known obstacle. And the tea, they didn't celebrate as if they'd won the World Cup last night. I mean, I didn't see if the New Zealanders did. But you can kind of see the emotion. Like, they were stoked. But I don't think they're, like, cool job done. Um, and whereas England, I think maybe they will, you know. Like, they, their game was as close. Fiji were pushing them as hard for a win at the death. So I, I think, like, that emotional high might be as big. But, like, I feel like England might be going into this game already being like, oh, well, we've, you know, we've ticked our box for the World Cup. Making a semi was as good as we're ever going to do. Whereas we've gone into this World Cup being like, no, that's, semi is not even a pass mark, you know? Hmm. So I I think, and I think, you know, I mean, there's just so much, it's so easy for the Springboks to get motivated to play England. Like, I don't see that being, being a problem there. And I think, just just to your point, about being surprised. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If it was, if it was Scotland or something, maybe, maybe it'd be a bit trickier. But like, you know, England, you can get up for it. I think the other nice thing, is that England are on a team that's going to... This English team is not a team that's going to spring a surprise. Like, they just don't have the players to score three tri- quick tries and put you on the back foot. Like, that's just fundamentally not good. Like, Argentina could potentially do that. Scotland can. Ireland can. Um, well, Arundel... Maybe even Wales Arundel's, to an extent, but... Arundel's played one, scored five, right? Yeah, yeah, but there's not-, oh. Randall's not starting against us, they're playing two 35 year olds against us. I'm not worried about their backlash. Oh, I
3: can't wait to see Cheslin and Orrinza against um, yeah. uh, aging Johnny Man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's like, got to be, be and Colby great... managed to make Peno
0: uh, look slow, like on the turn and stuff. Yeah, they're gonna make Daly look like a prop. Yeah, I mean, we, we, so, we've so seen one... what, what Colby and Orinza can do against England many times, and it's great. <laughs>
2: So one of the spicy takes that I gave to Ant after he asked for some spicy takes from this game was that perhaps Ian Foster is the most underrated uh, coach at this World <laughs> Cup, and that's only partly because we, we all do give him so much hate, and he, he comes well, in with just all this baggage. He's incredibly
0: lowly rated, you know. Like yeah, exactly. If, if your but, rating is zero, it's very easy to be yeah. underrated. It so, 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 need to be ten. So, so
2: <laughs> I, I I definitely don't think that he's done much right. But what he has done right is get in good assistants who know what they're doing, I think. If you look at Joe Schmidt, if you look at, uh, jo, jo, what's his name's Joe Ryan? The yeah, coach. Ryan. Um, you know, they, they've made a massive difference. The forwards are starting to play much better. There's, there is a little bit more structure even within the way that they counterattack. So... I think they have sort of improved. And yeah, they were disappointing in that opening game against France. But yeah, like you guys said, it's still a scary prospect in the final. But at the same time, I I would always say I'd rather play this New Zealand team than the Irish team. And I think most South Africans, most French, if they were still in, which obviously they're not, they would be happy that Ireland got knocked out on on Saturday, just Mm -hmm. because New Zealand, I think, are easier to prepare for in a way.
3: I'm giving away some spoilers there for revealing are gonna get to I, 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 feel, I feel like this Springbok group under Russian and the have a way of beating the all blacks. I've not seen us beat Ireland, so I tend to agree with that. Um but anyway, that's all hypotheticals now. We've got we know it's gonna be either New Zealand or Argentina. So I mean we 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 need to be ready for whatever New Zealand throws at us. Um that's yeah, yeah but spicy the spicy take, look. I I respect the All Blacks a lot, and I want to reiterate that I said I don't rate this All Black side, but that's versus All Black standards. Yes, that's yeah. not as – I don't not rate the individuals or them as a rugby-playing nation or whatever. So it's a, it's a it's a hard one because every time in this Ian Foster tenure, tenure where I thought now someone's going to bury this All Black team and bury Ian Foster, like after the Nelspey test, I thought they were going mm. to come to Alice Park and they were going to get a hiding. And each time he seems to get his side up for it, and the cane started and it came in that game also at Ellis Park. I remember and he scored. I think he seems to get his team up for it just to like make me doubt <laughs> whether <laughs> they're, maybe they are really good. Yeah. So he keeps on putting these odini acts with his side, um, but I still my my gut says we're better than them. Like, and, and I agree, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I
0: think it's that. I think. I don't know, Russi, if, if in the same kind of vein, any game we've targeted, we have achieved our target. You know, like the mm-hmm. Irish game now wasn't the target, and we, yeah, we, we fell short, but you could see there was some stuff we weren't doing quite seriously. France game, obviously, was a target. The New Zealand game in the warm-up was a target. Like, the Lions to a last World Cup, like, whenever the coaches have their mind on a goal, they've pretty much tipped it. Um, whether it was those results in New Zealand before the last World Cup, um, you know, so I think that's also in the back of my mind just being like, there's enough evidence of, of all the background boxes being ticked from a preparation perspective. Mm.
1: Very true. Mm. I mean, before we before we say goodbye to Ireland, um, maybe just to say, like, it's, it's just, just to reiterate again, we've been saying it for weeks now, but, like, it's so unfair that Ireland and New Zealand and South Africa and France have to meet in a quarterfinal. Like, those... Are both fixtures worthy of a final? And the rugby really played to the potential of of those four so, teams. It was incredible. Ireland Ireland deserved to be in a semi final at this rugby world cup. They've played immense rugby. They've been like leading the standard of rugby worldwide for you know, at least a year. I'd I'd say, and mm-hmm. yeah, just incredible play. Really, it's like I think as you said, like they could be validated that they pitched up this world cup and in this group. They they had to be a loser, unfortunately, and it just happened to be Ireland. Mm. It plays into the whole story of them never getting past the quarterfinal, um, which is one, one, <laughs> one <line. laughs> the mean oh, the no, mean value Irish. of that
0: alone is is, is great. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think uh, that that's just to that point that like anyone suggesting they choked, it's completely untrue. No, like they yeah. they did not choke; they just got beaten by a good side.
1: No, they didn't choke. Right. You can't you can't say that. Um,
0: oh,
3: it's it's sad to say. I don't think. We'll get as high standard of rugby in the semi's and the final as we had with those two games. I think the World Cup beat. Like, please, if the final is better, let it be better as long as we win. Obviously, <laughs> <But those laughs> yeah, games, my heart can take it. Otherwise, <laughs> the standard of rugby in those two games were off the charts. Like, it's something I haven't seen for a long, long time. So, sorry, I just wanted to emphasise that. I interrupted you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, it's all good.
0: No, but I think mm-hmm. that's... I mean, but that, that's, I think, just where the world's been going. And if you look at some of the clashes we've had in the last year and a bit, I mean, South Africa, New Zealand, Nelskrate and Addis Park were both counted as some of the best games ever. France, Ireland and the Six Nations this year was one of the great games. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in this World Cup alone, well, I mean, it, I, you know, the South Africa, New Zealand warm-up game, I thought that was a great game, but vice versa, the, the New Zealand, us and the Tri-Nations, the tri- uh, tri- nations, uh, red temperature was great. But, you know, South Africa, Ireland, France, New Zealand, France, Ireland, I mean, France, South Africa and, and New Zealand, uh, Ireland, we've all just been, we've had just a plethora of insanely good quality games in the last you know 13 14 months and you know maybe that just is, does speak to how even it is at the top there between those four teams which we know we know that those four teams are streets ahead of everyone else um at the moment. Mm. yeah so yeah it'll be look it, it's it's it'll be tough to top that in a, in a final as you say but i mean at the same time it could be you know an all-black south africa world cup rematch from 95 like mm. really getting the final we all want to see
1: yeah but mm. I, I did want to I did want to congratulate John Cleane on being the first Irish international to play in a or to get to a semi final of a World Cup. That's well done to him. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and also just to point out, just just for those that are out there listening uh, and like a little bit of spice, that only New Zealanders scored tries in that uh, semi final. Aki and Gibson Park obviously being native New Zealanders, <laughs> so, um, James Lillard didn't get on the score sheet. He could have made it three. And Mack Hansen would have made another Australasian. But um unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, no no native Irishman on the score sheet. So they, they need to get that right by the next World Cup. Yeah. And
0: perhaps we can
2: But yeah, perhaps we can just say, like with Sexton retiring, like he's had an amazing career. Yes, he's never made a semi final. But he's won <laughs> countless Six Nations. He's been part of British Lions tours. He's been amazing for Leinster when they've needed it. But, you know, World Cup wasn't quite his game, but he still had an amazing career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as unlike as see, wanna, he
0: is. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to continue signing off with some spice, like, he did sign off his career, his international career, in the way that we all would have liked, mouthing off to the ref and the players. <laughs> in this case, potentially, just, potentially justified. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, rico I only by accounts, was being a able to do us but you know still just classic sexton <laughs> like not not going down um, without without a fight um but yeah, i think we can um in the interest of time we are moving along swiftly fiji england um probably the one that we expected to be the most one-sided but turning out to be as close as the rest of them um england racing out to a comfortable lead, and then fiji realizing oh we actually are a drawling team and they came steaming back into it i think there was i don't know if the the fijians saw marcus smith's gold engraved initialed headphones and just took exception to it in the warm-up but they were out on a murder mission to take out the kid I mean, he oh. was bloody top to bottom um the people that i was watching that game with were just like surely they should change his jersey because there's as much red on his jersey as there was in the fijians by that point um,
2: changes are twice literally in one game he had to get two new jerseys <laughs>
0: Do you, do you think his, his performance dropped off when he had to strap his hair up? Or do you think <laughs> that's when he started playing better because he could actually see properly?
2: Strangely, I think it did. He's he's got that old Samson effect, right? Like he couldn't show off his hair, and suddenly he didn't have the his full ability.
0: <laughs> I mean, Phil, we'll start with you. Um, as I recent England it, were you yeah. were you nervous? Were you stressed? Or were you fairly comfortable? Your boys would get the job done throughout this game.
2: I, uh, going into the match, I felt relatively confident, and like like you said, the first twenty minutes or so went quite like how, how I thought it might. It was I think it was fifteen three after twenty minutes or so, and. Um, Fiji, when they had the ball, they were almost trying to play too much. I think they were, like we sort of mentioned last week with Scotland and Italy, just trying to do a bit too much side to side and not enough of the basic, like through the middle. And then when they scored their try, I think it was Mata. He had a really nice dummy, like under the post and managed to go straight through. Um, So when they played a bit more direct, I think they actually looked more threatening. And then they started getting Randrandara involved a bit more because he was playing out on the left wing and when he got his hands on the ball they looked a bit more dangerous mm-hmm. so i think definitely like they switched because things weren't working when they were just trying to you know run it wide and play as much as they could so when their game plan switched then definitely they started looking more dangerous and from an england perspective england just i want to say they weren't playing well enough but i i mean i agree with all of you guys that this is a very very poor england team so the sort of the the ceiling of their ability is actually not that good so as long as the springboks are able to you know play to the to their abilities it shouldn't be a close match this weekend but um yeah it was very close the end and when Fiji had the ball they just needed a convert to try and they could have made a historic semi-final so from an English perspective it doesn't really change much except that you're in a semi-final and you have a one-off chance of beating the Springboks like it's unlikely but it can happen it's a once-off match so you've made it this far you're the only team in the tournament who still has won all their matches even if it's been by the tightest of margins Um, so yeah you've got to take confidence where you can but the performance didn't really help
0: one of, one of the comments I saw on the English style was that it wasn't even 10-man rugby, it was eight-man rugby. Um, <laughs> do you think that, you know, I mean, you saying that the team that plays less rugby, it generally helps with the playoffs. Do you think that that's a winning recipe they've got there? Is it a secret um, the recipe? Or do you reckon that just, you know, their forwards just don't have nearly enough against ours and
3: it's, they've actually just got nothing, nothing to offer? So this reminds me of the 2007 English side, actually where they were already discarded before the World Cup. had a few terrible years after they became champions. And then somehow got to the semi. I think a monstrous uh, Andrew Sheridan scrum performance against the Aussies and Wilkinson kicked like four pens. Somehow got into the semis against France and they managed to knock out France. That's the one part. But unfortunately, the team they're facing in the semis, to put my neutral hat on if it's even possible... (laughs) <laughs> for England to win, for England to win a game, a uh, the semi-final, they probably would have to drag someone down to their level, a la what the Welsh normally do, and then you realise it's 68 minutes and you're three points ahead, and it's just getting nervy. I think the Springboks are the one team which their strengths don't line up well with. I, I don't think they, they, their forwards can drag us down to their level. I think, I think we dominate them up front. Um, and we win it, not by much, but I think I think it won't be as stressful as the France game. I don't think this English side, yeah, you know, I don't think they've got it in them to beat South Africa. To be honest, not trying to <laughs> to be biased, but yeah, you know, I, I just can't see it happening. I mean, the last I would time we playing yeah. Argentina. If I was from a South African point of view because they just feel more explosive. Than this England side, I don't know what it is, but I never get the feeling this England side is like that they can hurt you in too many places. From what I've seen in the World Cup,
0: yeah, well that's what I was going to say. We we played them, you know, the end of last year. They just scored what three tries in ten minutes against the All Blacks to get that famous draw, and then we put what forty five on them with something silly the next week, and it's absolutely one sided. The game that actually caused Eddie Jones to lose his job. Um, quick side note: how wonderful it has has it been not to hear about Eddie Jones constantly for a week? Uh, pretty good, pretty good, yeah. Quick aside. Um, Andrew, do you think this English side is, is better or worse than they were last year? I mean, you know, it kind of feels like they've regressed, at least from that attacking perspective, which I think speaks to what I was saying, is that they're just, you know, they're not going to score three quick tries and hurt you in that way.
1: No, bothwick has been brought in last minute and uh, sort of shown through this tournament. They've been on the weak side of the draw. They've only just won games that they should have put away. Uh, I think they're very lucky to be in a final. I would have loved the Fijians to get to a semi-final. Obviously, I don't want them to get to a final, get into the spring box, but it would have been just another chapter in this like incredible story that's been Fiji rugby for a little while. Like the the tier two nation who's really brought themselves up and captured the hearts of a lot of neutral supporters and played attractive rugby. Um, So I'm sad from that perspective that they didn't get through. And it's just, Another semi-final with England in it, kind of thing. And it's not a very good England side. Um, from a Springbok perspective, like I don't think it worries us too much, but I think the danger, the danger really now is that we already in the final in our minds, and we still have a game to play, and we've still got to beat a team who, you know, have half decent rugby players, and if they pull it together, like they can cause us problems. But I don't think that's gonna be a problem if there's any team to get up for as a Springboks, it's England so yeah Fiji, uh, I don't Fiji, think Fiji sorry I just want to say Fiji disappointed with their their discipline and basics uh they sort of slid backwards a bit um they let themselves down and and also there's there's been a lot of reports of dysfunction and disjoint in the Fiji dressing room um and at the final whistle that really yeah yeah the, the, the between the northern Hemisphere players and the, the Drua players, apparently there's mm. a bit of a divide in the dressing room. And at the final whistle, like, the captain, Naya Salevu just refusing to engage with the referee and walking away from him, knowing that they'd lost, like, yes, it hurts, but, like, that's a really poor showing, and I think spoke to mm. the the bit of a toxic environment in the, in the dressing room. We hate to see that. Like, Fiji are the guys who are singing together. They... They're like doing they're cleaning up the stadiums after they play. Like they they they're the good guys of rugby and to see them with that kind of attitude was very disappointing for me as well.
0: I mean that, that, that yeah. is really interesting because like probably the, the hero of the tournament, probably in my eyes, is is, is the coach some of right? Louis Hughes just been incredibly honest and open and welcoming. And I mean to the Portugal game, he went up to the Portuguese players and was hugging, congratulating them. Um then you know, in the media conference afterwards, I think maybe this is similar to what you're referring to, but like he was completely at the size. He was like, yeah, they were reffing mistakes, but we should have won. Da-da-da. They switched over to nice Levy, who was like, well, I'm not the coach. so I'm not bound by this. And I thought, you know, there was blatant stuff. He was referencing incidences where it's like, the ref did not blow this. To be fair, the ref was Rinal, who is notoriously idiotic at times. So, you know i think and but maybe it just speaks to the wider and I, maybe this is what what, what was referring to maybe it got into his head and maybe it's it's maybe it's past image maybe it's real but throughout this tournament there's been um mention of of refereeing unconscious bias um, against the tier two teams i mean it was obviously very very big talking point after the english samoa game um and now similarly here where they're just suggesting that there's the tier two teams, and maybe particularly this, the the Pacific Island nations, uh, just don't get the rub of the green the same way that the, the tier one nations do. Do you think that that I mean there was a fair gripe? or do you think Reynal was just shit?
2: I think that uh, he was Reynal. So, you, again, if you if you prepare for him and you know that he like the way that he lets the ruck, you know, sort of be a little bit more of a free for all like if you prepare enough you're not going to be too surprised like there's always going to be some calls that you disagree with and a lot of the time it does look like it goes against the weaker team because um yeah, yeah because of the way that he riffs but he i don't think he's a, an amazing ref. like you said he there's always going to be a questionable call or two but at the same time i don't think it was you know anything that should uh bring up ideas that there was some sort of inherent bias like I wouldn't go that far.
3: I mean, uh, shouldn't we be worried that we get getting this weekend? The yeah, weekend I'm we very worried about that. Can you <laughs> about that. Today, Is that, that, that that's the thought, thought that terrifies
0: power. me the most. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a lot of getting paper. So it's Raynal right and I Benno key. And I don't well, think they'll they they want can't, give it Benno can't be Benno to give better cheapbacks. She's got to be. She's got to be like fuck. Imagine the semis are ref by Nick Berry and
3: Null.
2: No, it's oh not going God. to be Nick Berry. Yeah, it can't be Nick well, Berry. If Renault can
3: take us yeah. out, they put Nick Berry in the final. <laughs> <laughs> like after, Nick, after
2: Nick Berry's been involved in like courts like like lawsuits and stuff, there's no way he's going to be able to. No, sh- surely
0: we get Angus Gardner and. <laughs> yeah, it might be Gardner. Get we get could Gardner, be Gardner. Please get Renault. I could yeah. deal with that. And then we get yeah. Gardner for the final or Barnes for the final.
1: Oh, yeah. We'd well, we have just knocked out England. Do we want Barnes? I
0: think that's the fine. Bonds bonds is above is over, is, yeah. I, I, I don't like think bonds. Well is like
3: yeah, you don't uh, like Barnes. No, but your to speak to the unconscious bias thing. I mean, it's such a like big thing to say and difficult to prove. We would have to go Rossi. <laughs> we would have to go Rossi, all the tier two, two versus tier one games in this World Cup. Sit with a law book and look through all the refereeing decisions if you really want to prove something like that. And it has to be, like, significantly clear that Tier 2 nations aren't getting the rubber, they're green. So it might be wrong, it might be right. And I get in the moment you're emotional as a coach and a player when you say that. But, I mean, it's you would literally have to review the whole game and look at all the decisions, because I guarantee you in most games, refs make bad choices to both, bad decisions to both sides. Yeah. Um, so I don't uh, know... Yeah, I don't know how I understand that you're emotional, but it's you really have to do a rush to prove it. So, (laughs) but I mean, all all three I mean, well, it's
0: good fortune. I didn't see the Irish doing it, but I mean, Gaffin was going on about the ref, uh, which we've mentioned. Um, obviously, nice, wasn't comfortable, and and DuPont came out being like, no, there were calls the ref made that didn't go against us, and we'll, we'll get on those as well. but you know, maybe it is just a—you've lost to the quarterfinal. You're emotional. Just, you just—you know—you're looking for a scapegoat, and rather than saying that you just weren't good enough, mm. you've you, been talking with the ref. But just on the statistically significant bias, um, I think we're Sterling Mortlock led. You know, these smart balls that have got the sensors in them. They did a study there, and they found that I think, I think tier two teams, the touch judges, raised their flag about ten or fifteen percent shorter than they did for the tier one teams, or something like that. Wow. Um, it was, and, this, and that, was, that was proven because when you had a, a hard data, and yeah. you got a measurable point, you know, so therefore, sure. it's you know, it's a lot less subjective than looking at a rock where there's probably 30 <laughs> things that you could measure. So, you know, from that oh. point alone, it seemed like there was, there is some kind of bias. Um, and I think maybe that's why they're trying to bring in the smart balls and stuff like that to reduce at least the measurable um, indifferences. But it was, it was you know, very surprising to see how strong the, the, the yeah. indication of, you know, um, benefit they were giving the supposed better teams because you know, expectations they could long kick longer or whatever like that. I mean, do you, you know, we see it at scrum time. If you've got a narrative of a strong scrum, then you get the rub of the green when it collapses and things like that. So yeah, I mean, uh, maybe there's the scope for a, for a study there or something, but yeah, it is, it's just frustrating when you do get, you know, th- three, well, four cracking games of rugby and inevitably three of the four, then there's a little bit of ref chat. Um, but cool. And I think we can we can finally get onto the meat of the night. Um, it's obviously just yeah, it's been such a, a cracking, cracking weekend of rugby, and there are so many talking points. So let's get in, into it. Springboks. Um, sure, that was that was hard work. Um, there was a lot of nails chewed. Um, we had multiple sport drinks of people jumping up and sitting down very aggressively. Um, yeah, we had, had a couple of client calls today where I don't think any of us had a voice enough to speak properly. Um, so, if, yeah, sure. My, my initial thoughts were just we worked flipping hard. I don't think we played brilliantly. You know, there were a lot of individual mistakes. Um, Parts of our game didn't function particularly well. Line-out defense wasn't great, um, particularly around our, our try line um, where the French found a lot of space. There were some tactical choices we made, which you could see worked off really, really well, like, like those crossfield bombs, particularly onto uh bill Barry, um and there are some very interesting things like the I and mean, we'll, we'll get to the spicy moments just now we're a nice list um but yeah i mean just infinite talking points i think i mean andrew you just read we rewatched the game and, and kind of text commenting on it but what were the standouts for you andrew you can start us off since you've got the freshest uh memory of it
1: um a titanic struggle um Again, like Ireland and New Zealand, worthy of a final. It's a real pity they had to be a loser. Like a classic game of rugby. The Springboks had a few, I think, outstanding performers. So maybe we'll just start with the individuals before we get into the the game strategies. Um, The official man of the match was Bongi Bonambi, which confused me a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. When Kulisi went off, um, I feel like there was a bit of a vacuum of leadership. Um, so I think that's that's Bongi's fault as the on-field captain. We lost uh, a lineup very close to the line, but um, you know, on on the more positive side, I think Jesse Krill, like a lot of people were calling for Lukanya Am to start this game. Um, a lot of people before the tournament were like, "Oh, we've lost Lukanya Am, we've lost the World Cup." He has. Really done a lot to cement his place in the team now. He his defensive reads, and now having watched back without the pressure of the live game and the nerves and all of that, and watching him specifically, the number of defensive reads he made to shut down French raids into our half was just immense. His timing is incredible. I mean, it's Am-esque. Like it's what we expect from Lucanya. Um, so he was incredible. Itzabeth was controversial, but also incredible his try. Like he he dragged four players over the line. He just he decided he was scoring that try and no one was stopping him. Like he, <laughs> you you could not stop Itzabeth from there. So so they were to the standouts, along with maybe Colby. Like he he beat defenders, he ran it in valiantly. He, he had a couple of high balls that he took, a couple of high balls that he lost as well. Um, but he was X-Factor all over the park. Um, so those those are three standouts for me. If I could just I add. You know,
0: run through standouts.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, in addition to those,
2: because I think I agree with all of those. And maybe just to say, I don't know if it's a bit harsh on Buggy, because I understand what you're saying. He doesn't quite have that same cap- captain, like the same gravitas that Khaleesi has. But um, I I main all and Dwayne was up too, yeah. mm-hmm. um, But in, in terms of other players, I thought also Dielenda in the centers was really strong. Um, he yeah. po- powered through on attack and defense. And every time oh, he yes. was called into play, he was really, really strong. And then just off the bench, I think Quacker, out of all the replacements, made such a positive impact. Oh, wow. um, like. We haven't always, like, we've debated about whether he should even be included on the bench, given our other options. You know, we have so many loose forwards, but he proved that he was the right call uh, in this game. He came on and made a massive impact. So, I think those two for me are... Anyone you want to add, Harik, or
0: do you want to focus on some French standouts?
3: No, I just feel like... um... it it was just like one of those wins for the ages in terms of it was built on guts. Like, um, they really dug deep. It was kind of sheer willpower dragged us over the line. It was team spirit and sounds cliche, but rugby-wise, France could have been up at halftime and out of reach. But somehow we managed to stay in touch and similar to like take every opportunity. I thought... uh, the centres when it's like you guys t- touched on it. That, well, that quick chance of the ball of TLM to Peter Steff for the, for the Colby try that Pio put the kick through. That also went unnoticed, but he picked the ball up and almost like Kanyu Um did in the final. Um, small moments like that. I thought the two centres were immense on the fence. Um, and then Dion fury put in a good shift from the bench as well, similar to Quagga. It was great. Yeah. Um, so I, could add, I think you guys picked up the right standouts. Those three in the starting line it's Etzmet, Colby and Creel, definitely the three are, are three most prominent influences on the game, I think, or Oaks that had standout games. Um, so I, I echo what you guys said.
0: I think I think the two I'll add to the list is just Libok managed to play the perfect Pollard game. He wasn't doing Libok things. He was doing... Pollard thing. No, no. So much so that Matt Pierce actually called it Pollard at one point in the first yes, half, which well. was quite funny. But it was just I mean, he he stuck that role brilliantly. I mean, he got enough of his kicks over and I think, you know, plaudits for him for just being that game manager. Um, you know, to the extent that when Pollard came on he didn't actually make that much of a positive difference, I didn't think. I mean, apart from obviously his 55-meter kick, which, which Libock wouldn't have got and he was on the bench to kick that kick and so you know, fair play to Pollard. But I think the other player that there was a bit of question marks getting the starting role was, was Reiner, um, who I thought was exceptional. I mean, his energy mm-hmm. around the park, his box kicking was really, really good. Um, the only one that I was a bit critical of was the one that actually led to Kurti Arnest's try. So we'll give him that. But I think the way he harassed um, DuPont around the ruck, he just put him under so much pressure. You know, he did what he was needed to do. And then when Faf came on, Faf could just fuff around um, and get in the defensive line at the end. So yeah, I think the the coaches deserve some a lot of plaudits. There was it was big balls to go with a different team lineup mm-hmm. um, and a different setup on the bench, but you know, I think it for the most part all pretty much paid paid off. Um, the only question, Mark maybe was was LaRue, who I thought was probably the only player with a net negative contribution. Feel so quite happy for you to dissent there. <laughs> um, I I,
2: I haven't rewatched the game, um, but I can't. Maybe it's my um. Bias, but I, I can't say that I, I remember him being too particularly negative in terms of his actions. Uh, you'll have to remind me, did he drop the ball or do particular yeah. things? Yeah.
0: But okay, I can, yeah, a couple of just very drop, yeah. drops. Okay. Uh, but I didn't right. see him inject himself into the game on attack the way that we were wanting to, and yes. I haven't seen yeah. him do that from the bench or yeah. you know, like he's he's meant to be the difference maker, the guy that's just bringing the ball, getting us over the try line for those points in the last 20 minutes, and he hasn't been filling that role. And if that's not what our fullback's doing, then I'd much rather have Willemser on, who's fast no. stronger defensively. the defensive um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and just that, that harder worker, you know, that, that guy that's going to get in the trenches and just, you know, kill himself for his brother, that's, that's Willemser. That's not Willy. Yeah. Or yeah. at least no, playing like know.
2: 6-2. You know, if you play 6-2, leave Willemser off yeah. the bench, then it allows you to have a yeah. stronger forward impact. Uh,
3: exactly, yeah. probably would go the 6-2 and leave Willemser out. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll, I. I well, I'm not the coach, but I don't think he, at this stage, is making the impact he used to, even though I thought he's done many, a brilliant thing for the box. I yeah. think, especially against England, we'll go back to, especially because I think we know we can bully them. Sorry, England, we'll go back to a 6-2 <laughs> maybe. I don't know what you guys think.
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree with that. I think on both fronts that, A, he's not willing to bring the impact he needs to, and be England are going to play a forward game, so let's beat them in the forwards. Mm. I think maybe against France there was a thought we might need to be chasing the score in the last twenty, and maybe Villa can give us a insurance mm. policy with a yeah. lot on. Um, maybe we just didn't feel like we needed to be as forward dominant against France. I'm not sure, sure. but I think for England, it definitely, you know, let's they've got one game plan, and our, we can do that one game plan far better than they can. So let's just lean in yeah. on that and and, and take the the straightforward option uh to the win, you know, rather than having to be too fancy. You know, against New Zealand we can revisit all of these things. Um but I think that, you know, the coaches have shown that they're quite happy to play to make make selections very specifically for the opposition. Um, you know, and I think we saw that this week and I think we'll see a a very different picture. I mean like I wouldn't be surprised seeing Pollard start next week, um, just to, to kind of rotate a little bit, potentially take you know, maybe will money. So it's just weird that we're saying that you could cotton play in a semi-final, but like, you know, that, that you, you we could see Klein starting instead of Etsy or something like that. You know, I mean we lose nothing, mm-hmm. to be honest, but we protect one of our, our key assets. Um, you know, Markov and Sarton overseer, like that that's fine. No, yeah. spicy, too hot? Andy, I think you wanted to go. Um,
1: I mean the only the only concern I have is that Bongi went off a little bit sore. Um so do we do we cotton wool, type. do we cotton will bongi and play a Dion Ferry? like um the, but, i never have a call for a semi final of a World Cup
2: um, also like Jamie George played a full eighty for England so they they're also not very confident in their options apparently at hooker no yeah.
0: Yeah. well I mean doesn't Dan Theo Dan whatever his name is isn't he got like five caps or something
2: yeah he's like the reserve Saracens hooker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, like, exactly. I mean
0: that's it's, that, that's what I'm saying. The, the English play, the fact that Dane Cole's sorry, Dan Cole is still an option for them for starting yeah. tight It's like I'm sorry, but, but <laughs> they scrum but, is nope. not worry me in the slightest. Nope. One of the, I hope the one it doesn't of- come
3: back to bite me, but I reckon what off and Ox will do to Dan Cole and Carl Singer and the Scrums weekend weekend might be nightmarish to watch as an England fan. It might come back to oh, that That's my feeling.
0: It's it's the it's the same English scrum as the last World Cup. Yeah, but worse.
3: Yeah. and our scrum
0: yeah. is better. <laughs> like, yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of. I mean, we've had this narrative uh, for the last couple of years that we've been talking about. But the like, essentially, it's the same group of players in both squads. The English have got a bit more rotation, but man for man, essentially, our players are better.
2: Yeah,
0: like Sears is a better player than he was four years. it's a better player than he was four years. Creel is Deolindis. Well, Deolindis maybe on par. But if you look at the English team, Genj is worse, Cole is worse, Jamie George is worse, Atojay is way worse, um, you know, um Toolangi's worse, Elliot
3: Daly, Johnny May, they're all worse players than they were like you know, five years ago. Um, yeah, um, I think Ge- Genge is the one, I think Genge is the one who's matured quite nicely. I quite like him as a player, but I think France will have him I
0: fight think fight to will give him a very hard day. hundred oh, percent. I mean, I always say that if a prop's got nicely styled hair, then he's not a proper prop. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, what and it if gets, you look at yeah, that, look at like. that, look at that, look at that. Yeah, he's got that perfect fade and a sculpted beard. The same as Sinclair, he's got that Drake beard. You've got Joe Miler, who spends more on hair dye than he does on like protein shakes. Um, you, know, like, <laughs> you compare if you compare that to Francois Herb, who's like his only thing that he's interested in. You can see it. Like, it's a very different <laughs> attitude towards your job on the pitch.
2: I thought you were gonna say like food for a second, but I'm glad you went for scrumming. Brandy, <laughs>
1: definitely. When when when, 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 yeah. when, um, when when Damien Willemser called that Mark scrum in the 22. Uh,
0: yeah, let's talk what, about the spicy
1: parts. What what I what I said what I said to my mate who I was watching with was like, does he, does he have does France Malibe have girl, like pictures of Damien's girlfriend somewhere because, like, why are they, <laughs> why are they going for a scrum? <laughs> Like, France France must have some dirt on Damien because that, that was a weird... He, he
2: had so much time, yeah. Like, it was... And it would slow... And I guess part of the thing was to slow it down. But at the time, it was like, what is, what is going on? Is that even an option?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, that was my first reaction. I was like, is that legal? Can you do that? <laughs> um, but, I mean, look, obviously, we've all seen Rossi's comments post. It was about, you know, trying to actually engage the French in scrums because they don't scrum very often and get their foot moving around the park. But, yes, I mean, it was just there were so many things in this game that i've never seen before and i mean that was that was one of them that was one of the most just ballsy confident things to do i mean i imagine being a french player and you're just a prop like joking away wave the kicking bat i'd like oh you go mr gumbo like it was mm-hmm. i wasn't signing up for this um so yeah should we just quickly run through run through my list of hot takes or or, or interesting op things and we can we can um look at them quickly there was obviously the colby charge down like i've seen oh. that a handful of times at club level international level insane
2: it's one of those where you see everyone like try it but no one gets that close sometimes it's a little closer than others but in general it's like they're normally quite comfortable especially when they're further away from the try line but like we've seen like colby's also said after the match like he knew exactly like ramos's kicking technique from playing with him for six years or whatever he knows how long he takes he knew that he could so it's just one of those amazing things where colby knows what he's doing and he pulled it off and it became so critical because of the marginal scoreline at the end
0: yeah i mean th- there were so many moments obviously with you know you only win by one point there, you could point to it um but focusing is st- staying on colby and kicking drop goal from scrum off what you guys make of that
1: i know phil didn't like it I, I didn't mind it. We had a one point advantage. You put it out to four points. It's now a try instead of a penalty. Like France would have to play it's... very differently in those last couple of minutes to try and win the game, which probably would have made it easier for us to defend because they would have been a bit more reckless and expansive. So, I
2: so here's so, so so here's the thing for me, and it's a bit of a weird one because I love drop goals. Like drop goals are some of my favorite things. When uh, what's his name? When George when, Ford scored a whole Paris. lot of them.
1: Owen Farrell oh. scored one this
2: weekend. Uh, you know, Owen Farrell's just not very likely. <laughs> it's not even fun when, he,
3: <laughs> even when he, so he scored drop goals. That like. wasn't the people's drop <laughs> <laughs> like
2: goal. when George, Ford was doing it, especially because England were going nowhere. They looked so like nothing. There was nothing on it. I thought they were really good for the the Colby one. I felt like even though South Africa didn't have anything clear on, um, it. There was just better a better option to even pass to, a, to someone else to do a drop goal. So it's like one of when it, it's like a bit of a weird, if you get it, it looks great. If you don't, it looks silly. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think there was just, even if you're going for a drop goal, a better option. So for, it would have been very cool from the base of Iraq, but I think because of the bad execution, it, it leads me to think that it was just a poor option. So maybe it's just the execution because the actual idea of it, if you got it, I think it would be great, so yeah.
0: I think so. the, the problem with that though, is that, that you know, it gives you them a tr- 22 dropout so they can then really clear, take all the mm-hmm. pressure off them, you getting marched back you know, 30 meters back into your half. And you know, it's probably far more beneficial just to camp in their half pressure wise and time wise than it is to relieve that pressure, even if you get the three points and they get back into your half.
3: You know, um. I, I agree. I, I would have just tried to play a tight, slower game, try to get a penalty there probably. Um, time goes by in the off. The fact that it's a 22 dropout, that's a difference to me because they can really drop down deep into your off, put on a good structured chase or force you to kick it back. But I mean it's Colby. He's so mercurial that, and when he's in the mood that he was on Saturday or Sunday night or yesterday night, You just feel like anything he does comes off. So, the only reason hindsight bias looking at it, I wouldn't have done it (laughs) if I was coldly, but if it went over, we would have been talking about this the whole day. Like,
0: (laughs) and in fairness, it wasn't the worst shot, eh? it wasn't miles off. It was close. Um, (laughs) It was was a pretty, pretty good attempt. So, yeah, fair fair, fair enough. Um, There was a a, a much worse. kick we did see in the game which was well there were two i mean i think there was, I mean, there was a there was a, a 20 drop that went straight out by i think ramos but jelly took a went for touch with a penalty and somehow managed to kick about five meters backwards <laughs> so this still kept the line out but they were now like defending their five-yard line. Said, oh, oh, have you oh. ever seen a worse penalty attempt than that wow
2: It was ridiculous. I mean, we mentioned at the beginning of the tournament when Intermach got injured, like how Jalibert is like one of these players who can give you the most amazing things, but he can also give you the most ridiculous things. I think we saw it last night. Yeah, but he's like the epitome of that sort of crazy fly half who will, you know, run and do crazy, amazing stuff with ball in hand and then just do bonkers stuff the other time. So that was ridiculous. I don't know how it went backwards. How does that even happen? There's like you can slice a kick, sure. But even if you slice a kick, it's not going to go backwards, is it? <laughs> that was yeah. terrible. No, it was, Jeez. I mean, it
1: was just
0: hilarious. I mean, it was, I think both both teams had their moments of just, I wouldn't say brain fade, but just like shockingly poor execution, which really could have, you know, could have cost any game. But the fact that both teams had, you know, two or three was, I mean, interesting. You know, for example, as, as Andrew mentioned earlier, that that bongi line out, um, you know, on our try line, like on their try line, going for the attack, like that could have cost us the game, missing that one. Yeah. Um, There are some moments, you know, hot and attack where we just kind of threw the ball on the floor. Um, so it was, yeah, it definitely wasn't a clinical game, I don't think. But I think maybe it's probably also just, just feeding into the pressure. And I think the the last thing that I just mentioned in my list of quick hot takes was um, we had a bit of a merry-go-round with some of our players. So I don't know. I mean, there's been question marks on the legality of it. We had to put up the rules to check that the various HIAs and replacements we were making were actually all above board. But in that whole process of Etzibeth being off and um, some other players being on, Dwayne ended up scrumming at lock and Peter Steff at flank when we went for a seven-man scrum, which was – I was just shocked, like, why was this happening? Especially when we were, like, two minutes earlier when we were scrumming with an eight-man scrum with Delenni on the flank. Then we had Peter Steff at lock. So what suddenly made them decide that, actually, no, we want to keep Peter Steff out wide and then put Dwayne in the engine room? It was, it was just – I mean, do you have – Maybe the one, the, to scrum, scrum? the one
3: attacking scrum and the one at defensive scrum? Because if they had the ball, it, it would make sense to keep Peter Steff out to apply pressure from
0: the scrum defensively. Well, maybe. I mean, Andrew, you're the one that rewatched it and and had to rewind a couple of times to find the moment, but it it just struck me as very strange.
1: Yeah, it was a that I mean,
0: a lot of logic.
1: So, I sort of of understand, but also, um, scrumming at lock is still a specialist position. Like, you'd think that Dwayne played at seven in the last pool game. Um, Why wouldn't they back him at blindside? I mean, given... You're against alderton de pont you're not against um sionu vailanu and whoever played scrum off for tonga <laughs> like um <laughs> it's a slightly slightly elevated opposition so i understand but he was solid so you know there's not much more that you could say about it he did the job but it was a bit of a surprising decision yeah it's,
0: yeah, it's an, an odd little little moment yeah. um yeah, any, any other kind of points of interest from the yeah. game you want to talk about before we can kind of look ahead? We've got a fair bit of looking ahead, but just before we close I
1: mean, we I we, we talked about um, what Rossi might have up his sleeve, and there was a lot of talk in the build-up about, you know, we've held things in line for this game. And watching it live, I think being caught up in the whole action and that, you, you couldn't really see it. But watching it a second time this, this evening, um, clearly... From both sides, kicking was a massive part of the game. Um, yeah, and attacking kicking. So, so South Africa kicked up and and competed. So it was contestable kicks that we competed and we scored two tries directly off fumbled kicks from from France. So we're lucky in that way. We weren't even in their half when we when we launched the kicks, and both of our wingers uh, jumped on jumped on you know spoke ball. And there was also the Delendi um kick that was also his off-spot ball that he punched through and then you know recycled back to him to score. Um, so that worked well for us. And putting up uh deliberately putting up Peter Steff and Franco Mustard to contest kicks were, were like that's really tough to come up against. But it's not something I remember seeing before. So that was quite clever. Yeah. And playing that off Marnie Lubbock, who it was one or two phases of, of forwards ball. We didn't run lots of phases. It was one, two, and then we contest a kick and we see what happens. And it worked for us and it paid off big time. But we didn't have uh, the sustained pressure in the French half that we had, for instance, against New Zealand, which led to us dominating them so heavily. We we had that sustained pressure in their half and it was unrelenting. It was a very different game plan this time, which, which worked against this opposition. So that was really clever. The French... On the other hand, also had a kicking game plan. Um, not so much off Jalibert, who isn't their first choice fly off but Ramos and the and pont. And they were looking for grass in the backfield and playing these little chip kicks and grabber kicks through, which were extremely effective. And this is where I think um, and I think your, your comments about Penno being very quiet are maybe a little bit like rough on Penno because he was dangerous in those broken play situations. And there were a couple times where Reinach and Colby took it like almost out of his hands to rescue the Springboks in situations. So they played that very well. And our back three, um, we were worried about them kicking contestable kicks onto our back three. And they actually looked for grass. They had little chip kicks over. They had kicks behind our players. And that was really good. And it worked really well for them. It was really tough for us to deal with. So... Other teams will be taking note of that for, for semis and finals, for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you think yeah. that suggests that we stick with so considering of how many of those he bailed us out?
1: I don't think he did. Well,
0: Faf would maybe do more of a, an upfront defensive role if Radar's made, Radar's made more of a sweeper?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, Fuff, Fuff came off the bench and didn't look good. Um, But I don't know if that's... He had an off day, or he's not used to coming off the bench, or or what? Because when he has started, he's looked like the choice scrum off for me. Um, but Heinrich was good, so I don't think he's done himself any harm. And there's a bit of a there's a debate to be had now. But uh, Heinrich, I think you wanted to chat on the kicking game, eh? Yeah,
3: oh, I love chatting kicking games. Um, <laughs> you're, a Bulls, France... you're a Bulls
1: fan, after all.
3: <laughs> I-, I thought Bulls kicked. Prop played the territorial absolutely brilliantly in the first half. Um they utilized they utilized the pond a lot, like you said. And when they got in half and they got the ball, that's when they looked to find grass. And they wanted to pin us back and put us under immense pressure, which which they did. But we scrambled so well. Like, I don't know, some of the situations, I don't know how we got out of it. I think their game plan worked perfectly in the first half. Their coaches can <laughs> at least have that, is that they really put us under pressure. Um, we scrambled very well. We took our chances. Our eye kicks on their young, ex- inexperienced winger, What's a name? surname. <laughs> <laughs> Barry. He was sketchy. <laughs> the having Eben and Peter Stefan most running and competing and jumping at him. And it paid dividends, right? He... He wasn't up to the test. I mean, it's going to be hard to find a winger, a young 20-year-old winger to be. So from our side, that part of our kicking game was smart. But yeah. I really think France's game plan worked the first half. I remember thinking the whole time, we just cannot get out of our half. Like, we can't put phases together. We can't We can't get territory. Um, yeah. And that's mainly thanks to how well Antoine de Pont controlled the first yeah. half. Like, he was immense.
0: What a rugby yeah, player that guy I mean, is like. He's yeah.
3: 26 years old. And... He just like he can, basically run, <laughs> he, he can basically run a game on his own. Um, He's a game changer, yeah. You know, I, I mean, it, we, it, uh, I reckon you know, if DuPont
0: wasn't playing, we would have won by like 15 or 20. I mean, he single handedly was holding oh, them together for that first. So he was incredible. Yeah,
3: you he know, was literally the definition of, a, of a, uh, an Afrikaans. It's called a scrum skarkle, where he was literally the link between the scrum or the forwards Jesus. and the backs. Yeah. And I mean, the way he, his decision-making is just immense. Like, I I, I wasn't all about how good this guy is. Reinhardt really did his best to put him under pressure. But it's so hard when you're dealing with a with a player that's probably going to end up up there with some of the best we've ever seen. Might be a big call, but I really believe he is. Um, but we just scrambled well. We, we found a way to stay in the game that first off. And actually, I think the last 15 minutes, we closed the game out quite well. Like, the world champion side, Taking a tap and go in a game of that magic magnitude, foregoing the three easy points with 15 or 40 minutes left and scoring the try. That, that's that's kind of the difference between the, the world championship sides and sides that don't win it. I know it sounds harsh and cliche, but really to me, like even after being basically batted for 60 minutes, we still had the confidence to take a tap and go. Um and like Rashi said, moments of brilliance, even it's a bit. There was no way anyone was going to stop him scoring that try. <laughs> big player that stepped up and said, listen, this I'm, I'm going to score this try now and I'm going to be the one to make the difference. It's so, it's so rough on the fringe because what a great rugby side. Um, but I, I just felt like that last 15 minutes or last 10 minutes, we closed the game out nicely. After struggling to get any territory the whole game, we suddenly spent most of the last 10 minutes in there off, which I think speaks volumes of the experience and the, the championship quality the box have. Uh, when it mattered most, we could we could find a way to pull it through. Yeah, so chuffed. I mean, like I said, a win, a win for the age is one of the most memorable wins I've seen from the book. Uh, Um, And you are just all in all great. Great to win a game like that as well, where you're under the pump. Um, because it tests the character and the resolve of a side. Like, already world champions, do you really want to win it again? I think we got our answers last night about where the squad's mental mental state is about how serious they are about defending their title. So, yeah, sorry, that was a mouth. No, I think it's true. And I think, to be honest, the moment that that really sealed it
0: for me, as you said, the last 10 minutes, we were only one to four points ahead. It was st- sketchy, but less stressful than I think it could have been. Like, it- I think we were, you know, kind of by that point we were like, "Cool, we've kind of shut this down." But I think, I think we we've got the possession back just inside a half minute and half from the clock. We did two phases to forwards, and I was just shouting, "Kick the ball!" And the team did, and they're just like, "You know what? We back our defence for a minute to these Frenchies, and yeah. we're not going to to a penalty." And you know, the, the confidence I think so many teams at that point would overplay their hand, try and go through mm-hmm. those forward phases where. I mean, you've seen infinitely get. in the mini game. Oh, as, as a Bulls fan, I've seen I've seen Dean
3: Grayling die. those games there, so or just like just someone in the face. I was horrified someone and <laughs> the get an easy kick.
0: Yeah, and so you know, the, yeah. but again, the fast the, the players went through those, like they knew what the game plan was in those minutes. They executed. They did a great kick, and then just you know trusted their defense to hold them out. You know that's that's championship mentality, being like, yeah, you guys go and take this from us. Um and I think that, that just spoke to the, the, the confidence and the trust the players have in the game plan and themselves.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things was like the tempo was so high in that first half. Like it was so back and forth, it was like nonstop for a long periods of time. But I, I think that it was almost like unsustainable for France to keep up that tempo for 80 minutes. And we did see you know them start to drop off but also the power of our own reserves compared to their reserves like we like we were saying earlier we have talked about how we have such a strong squad now not just the first 15 like we can back everyone and not just the bomb squad but you know whoever we pick on the bench um and so I didn't love the options of Fuff and Pollard and Billy coming off the bench. But ultimately, you know, in, in that last 20 minutes, it sort of proved, at least with the forwards and if not the backs too, like it perhaps was the right decision, but it was also like our reserves made a big impact compared to theirs.
1: Well, like our reserves like deserve talking about because we went very early to the bench. Like we went five oh. three, so it was already question marks around how how bomb squad is this like reserves bench actually gonna be. And then when you go at forty-four minutes, you're taking off 9-10-15. At forty-six minutes, you take off your captain and open side, and then at fifty minutes you take off two of your front rankers. Like you've still got a half an hour left of the game, and these guys have to play out. It's not it's not this ultimate um like super sub idea around the bomb squad or they can just like go hatch it like the whole the whole time and this was a more standard sort of typical rugby substitution regime which was different to how we've run things for like four years almost um and five three dictates you have a different approach and i I sort of agree I, i don't know that i don't know that faf and pollard are the best options on the bench um pollard also as much as he kicked his fifty-five meter, he had at least five defensive misreads. Um I heard Scott Berger say it in the post match, and I, I was watching it now with, you know, a little bit more relaxed eyes. And yeah, you know, he he wasn't great on defense. And it's usually somewhere where he's rock solid. It's somewhere where you would say Monty Libok actually gives space to to Pollard. But um yeah, it's Oh, there's there's selection debates to be had for sure for next week. I'm not sure what the coaches are going to do, and for the final.
0: Well, let's use that as a spring box since we are you know, running out of time a little bit. Um, how, what would you select as the the team for next week? Given you know, well, actually, disrespect to England, they, they deserve disrespect. Um, it will be an easier game than France. I think that's fair to say. Um. Would you rotate a little bit? Do you think we just comfortably, do we back the same boys the whole way through? We have touched on, you know, maybe carton Walling bongi a little bit. Um, so let's fire through that quickly and then do a quick quick prediction for the Argentina-New Zealand game and um, yeah, wrap it up there. Arne, um, would you
3: would you mix up anything or stick to, the, stick to the formula? Yeah, look, I think something we have to give credit to the coaches here is that we entered this World Cup without Luit Pollard and Arm, um, which are three crucial. I mean, the one operates our lineouts. The ones are basically vice captain. Well, Pollard and Arm, um, I think Pollard was vice captain. And um best outside in the world, finished foot and firing. And we lost marks early on. And still, we've managed to knock out those. So, firstly, that is immense credit to the depth we have and the coaches. For me, um, and now we're playing with a Pollard that's played 70 minutes of rugby in six months. So, yeah, I, I expected him not to be up to speed offensively, but, I mean, the man showed his his balls when he kicked the penalty we needed. So, that's that's why, I mean, even though he doesn't look as sharp, um, I would not I would not select a match twenty without him there. I wouldn't change too much. It's a semi-final. If Pongi's hurt, if he can at all, maybe bench, maybe start the on three and bench Pongi. If is completely fit, start Pongi. Um, even though we think it's going to be an easier game, I think it's still going to be a World Cup semi and it's going to be energy sapping and it's going to be tighter than we think it is. So I, I wouldn't change too much, to be honest. Before this weekend, I thought they would maybe give Lucanio 40 minutes if we get to a semi to see how he looks, maybe for a final. But the way Jesse Creel played, I'm not really sure if Lucanio is part of the plans anymore. Um I reckon they'll go with the 6-2 as well with 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 Pollard and off on the bench. It's hard to argue Reinach should go to the bench now because Pfaff didn't look brilliant when he came on at all. He had a few. It took him a while to, to get up to speed, which is also I was surprised why they brought the halfbacks on so early because a, a game of that 10-point magnitude, you can't take time to get up to speed. You need to fire immediately. So it was ballsy to change 19 15 so early. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't change too much, really. Like These Oaks know it's 160 minutes of rugby. Um, even if the bodies are sore, you would expect there's more to regret if you rotate too much and lose a semi against England than playing your strongest team and losing. Uh, I, I just feel like they won't change too much. That's just my gut feeling. Um, I think they probably already knew the side was going to be before the France game, to be honest. No, Not the yeah. box, the coaches already started planning, yes, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. But I don't know what you guys think. Would you change a lot? Like, where, where and where would you change? Like, it's still a world cup semi. I can't see like resting even yeah. for even is like, especially without Marks there, even sets the tone for the physicality in any game. Yeah, Whereas Marks true. kind of started to take over that role. It's yeah. now crucial that even plays for me because he he's the hope that embodies what our forward back is about, right. He kind of leads from the front, so he needs to be there. That's my feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe Erki for Sölsar. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it's it's so hard. But I don't know what you guys think. Like I, I think
2: I agree for the most part. Like we still have to treat this game as a semi-final, however badly the opposition, whoever it is, may have been playing. Like it's a massive game. It's a World Cup semi-final. These you only get at best a couple in your lifetime. you know, so I think you rest as little as possible. I think I would start Fuff. Um, I would also do the 6-2, but I, I wouldn't think about Cotton, Willing, even Irbin or Bongi. I think they have to play. Um, it's not worth giving them the rest. I don't think they need it. There's only six days in between, but I think that's fine. We've got back-to-back games. They're able to do this. They're used to doing this, and I think um maybe i'd bring in visa to be honest i i think i was surprised that he didn't play if we if we're able to have Dwayne in a 6-2 it could be a decent option to have him on the bench um i think like one guy who played very well for england who i didn't mention earlier was Ben Benall had a really good game on the weekend mm-hmm. um and i think visa would almost be able to match him if not better him like on opposite sides of the scrum or opposite number eight so yeah maybe visa but otherwise pretty much i would start fast but i think keep the rest the same and go six two on the bench yeah sorry to you
3: interrupt still, you start us, would start then oh, so yeah. w- mm-hmm. would you then would you then start visa this weekend for 50 and give to 30 and then in the final start playing again because i personally think that's not a bad idea yeah uh, um, but, give, uh given that I don't think Fisa is necessarily a bench type player. It's almost like what yeah. like we said yeah. about Faf and Pollard. Yeah, Fisa kind of a grinder. Where he, yeah, that first twenty minutes, similar to France but Alba, like he's so crucial at the start. But yeah, uh, that's just thinking out loud now. But he's also so would, he shown... put,
0: take, would you take Dwayne on the bench not Quacha? Or Would you get two Lucies not not two Dots? You drops? drop oh. Dwayne then. Ah, oh, it's so hard. Yeah, I think
2: but, I think you guys
0: are asking play, the hard questions. This <laughs> a run. Then you go you go you go
3: climb on the bench, we,
0: you go full physical.
3: Yeah. But don't we just don't we just bring on Quagha for Sia and Twain for Jasper and Archia for Sos? And not it's it it comes down to Klein or Quagha and Dwayne. Originally
0: the the, the bomb spot the first time was, was was double locks and then you yeah. bring on flow for Sia. Um no, I mean Jasper can go eighty. I like the option of bringing on, on Dwayne because then you get that breakdown threat and that leadership for the last bit. But I feel like the physicality impact you get by bringing on double locks yeah, trumps that for mm-hmm. me. And then also it means we get to give given a little bit of a rest, which is, which yeah. is also nice.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll go Munster. Munster locks on the bench. Uh, it's tempting to go from Starden again because he has been industrious and he offers extra cover and hooker. But I think you got double locks uh quacker on the bench because he covers six to eight and twelve thirteen eleven fourteen <laughs> uh so <laughs> I, I don't think we can go I don't
0: think you can go six two without Quacker. I just don't um no I think that's I think that's fair. Um but you're saying start Fuff would you start Pollard as well and give him that run or just stick with Marnie no, all the whole way through and I think go, go, go go Reinach and Polly on the bench
1: yeah I think Fuff Faf and Marnie have played enough together and they've been good enough together not to doubt that combination. Um I think it was a horses for courses selection to go Ryanak versus France. Um but I, I don't think Fa I, I think Faf is a starter, not a finisher. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um cool. So prediction time. We all all, all around comfortable Springbok wins. 5, 10, 30, 40. Tell me how to stop.
2: 60. <laughs> no, it's it's a semi final. I will go Spring Box by 10.
3: 13. Any other <laughs> I'm going to say box by 7. Yo. I'm appreciating that.
0: <laughs> Keep keeping the bar set low. Um, I mean, I, I could just see us winning. I, think, I just
3: think we, I mean, it's going to be tougher than we think. I don't know yeah. why. Even though I don't rate England, I think it's going to be tougher than we think. I, just, just, I don't see
0: this England side challenging us in any department. Like, the things that they're good at, we're just better at. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't have things outside of that to throw at us. You know, like France, yeah, maybe on the forwards we have the edge, but they've got other stuff that they can do to us. Like, I don't see that those other aspects in the English side. So I think we're going to be comfortably on top of them The But I think, if anything, it'll be fast more similar to the Scotland game where we know we can play the most simple, boring, no uh, intuitive, like no invention rugby. And we know we can win comfortably by 10 or 15. If we wanted to play properly, we could put 30 on them, but we don't need to, so we won't, you know, we'll just play the most boring, down the line, unimaginative stuff. And that's going to be enough. I reckon. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to say 15 to oh. stretch it out a bit. Um, looking across the other game quickly. New Zealand, are they going to mix it up? Or are they going just full bore again and just going to steamroll Argentina because that's what they do when they're in the mood?
2: Definitely as strong as possible. Well, no, definitely the strongest think there's lineup.
0: any chance okay. of an Argentina upset? Like any, at all? Always a Yeah, I, I mean know. like...
2: like like, (laughs) maybe like one in every 10 games, so like 10% chance, but nine out of 10. Yeah, I I feel like 10 is generous, but still fair. I feel like nine out of 10 times New Zealand are winning.
3: Yeah, I think New Zealand by like 17. Mm.
2: I think Argentina are one of those teams where if New Zealand have a bit of a lead, their heads will go down and New Zealand can add a bit more. So, yeah, New Zealand Mm. by 20, I think.
1: Hmm. back that
0: yeah i think i think similarly i think probably the same kind of comment that i made about english argentina argentina their goal was semi-finals i mean considering the way they're playing the pool stages they were lucky to make it to the quarters the fact they made it to the semis like they've they've ticked the box at this point you know they can they can go for a, a bronze medal against england um i reckon next weekend um, so yeah, I think I think this is going to be a, a pretty comfy win for the All Blacks. I don't know if that plays in our favour or not. Them having the psychologically easier game if they run away with it, um, but I think it'll be fairly comfy for the All Blacks. But yeah, I think that's that's a good point to leave it. This has been a great chat and probably gone on a lot longer than any of us just were expecting. But I suppose that's you know that's that's what happens when you have one of the, the greatest rounds of rugby. Um, you know, with two of arguably the greatest games of all time. I was meant to ask you what your opinion was, which one was the better one, but I think we'll we'll leave that as a teaser for next week. Um, but yeah, Heinrich, thank you so much for joining us and making the time. It's been absolutely lovely to have you on. Um, we did mention that you you have your own podcast and we, we didn't actually get around to giving you a plug. So here's your chance um, before we sign off quickly.
3: Oh, classic cross-promotion. Uh, cross, pro- cross promotion. Um, <laughs> I actually do have a podcast. We only have one English episode so far. The rest is in Afrikaans. <laughs> but the one English one is with the legend himself, Dale Stein. Um, So that's a pretty good one. Um, and it's called the Dung, which is here's the thing um, in English. And we chat to whatever topic the guest um, specializes in. So we've had musicians, rugby player, cricket player, journalist, politician. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a podcast with a lot of different topics and stuff, but enjoy making it just like you guys, and I'll be sure to give you a shout out to the next episode we we record. We've been on a break on holidays, but we're getting back into it soon. Um, and just to you guys, thanks for letting me join. I love chatting about rugby. Um, hope the episode isn't too long for the listeners because once I get going, I would like to discuss even the smallest parts of rugby. I'm an absolute freak fan of the game, like absolutely love it to bits. So I appreciate the opportunity that I could learn out a bit about the game with you guys, especially after the weekend we've had. And, yeah, I think Boca for the win. Well, quick question um,
1: for our draft purposes. Um, who's going to start a fly for the Bulls? Is it Jakku van der Waal, Chris Smith or Jan Korsen?
3: It's it's such a difficult question. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've got Scottish international, you know, surely, uh, guys, that's – oh, it's a – yeah – my head says Jake White will still pick Chris Smith up to a certain time of the season I and mean, then shift him on. But look, the playoff is one of the problem areas for the Bulls. I like if I look at the squad makeup, and that's why we've got three at the moment competing, and there's no clear clear. I thought Huison played some great rugby when he just arrived, and then I don't know when he got injured, but. Yes, he's, he's had some horrific games for the Bulls the last season. I don't, yeah, I don't know. And then Jakub van is obviously signed for the reason that Jake is not happy with the option he's got because none of those two are going to be Springboks, So they will basically be available a whole season. So I don't know how that battle's going to develop. Um, I was a fan of Yaakov van Waal at the Lions. Not a particularly massive fan of the other two options right now. I've seen them have good games. But, it's yes, it's hard to say. I, I would steer away from Bulls players for your draft, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so bring bring, I'm, the, not bring I'm not very optimistic about the season. Um, even though I'm a massive fan and the awesome players I really like watching in that side, I, I, I don't know if Jake's should still be there. I, I'm not sure. There, there's, there's something not ticking there. Yeah, But, so, I mean, the, we don't the, have the, another hour to chat about the Bulls. <laughs>
1: Andrew's going to give you a call after the episode, I think, for well, more, more hints. I was, I was just thinking <laughs> do, we, do we make the episode title bring back Mornay Stain and just confuse the shit out of people? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, at some stage, I thought when Pollard was, wasn't fit for, for the World Cup, they should give Mornay a backup call again. <laughs> <laughs> To go with the box oh, but gosh. i mean the man's retired what a legend he is uh i reckon he could sell start it starting at 10 for the bulls yeah, now by the way
0: <laughs> i think we're gonna have to do a, a urc focused episode um in a couple of weeks once the heat from the world cup's down down just to touch base on all the local scenes um but yeah just again massive thanks to everyone for joining for the listeners i hope you've you've stuck it out this long um yeah it's another Two weeks left of, of this amazing festival rugby right, we've had. It's been the most incredible World Cup. So, yeah, three three more games that really matter. One more game that's less important, but yeah, hopefully all round should just be be a cracker. So you know, hope the livers recover, rest strong this week, and we go again next weekend. Cheers, everyone.